This morning, I want to finish this basics series by looking at one more question. And this is a question that is important for us to understand so that we might remain faithful and hopeful and on mission as the people of God. So the questions are these. What is the church? What does it mean to be a part? And why is it important? What is the church? What does it mean to be a part? And why is it important? And just to put your mind at ease, we're going to spend the majority of our time on that first question, laying that foundation, and then we'll cover the last two questions really quickly, because those are kind of implications or applications from our primary question. Our primary question is, what is the church? I think this is an important question for us this morning, because I would submit to you that of all of the areas of theology, like soteriology, which is the study of salvation, or pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, or eschatology, which is the study of last things, I would submit to you that ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, is perhaps the weakest muscle group of all the theologies in the spiritual body of most evangelicals in North America. And so, There are lots of Christians who are very careful about understanding what the gospel is and making sure that what's proclaimed from pulpits and read in books and promoted in small groups is faithful to to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right theology about salvation. And while many Christians love to study end times, love to tell you about their study of the end times, and while many Christians are aware of the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does and how he works and how significant he is in the Godhead, it seems that at least among many Christians in North America, the understanding and study of what the church actually is and what the church is to do and why the church is important seems to be almost ignored, if not avoided at least. So I want us to focus in on that muscle group, if you will, this morning, the muscle group of ecclesiology. What is the church? What does it mean to be a part of the church, and why is that important? So our primary text this morning is Acts chapter 2. We're going to look specifically at verses 41 through 47, although as we've been doing throughout this series, we're going to spend lots of time in lots of other places as well. So if you look at the text this morning... I had asked Mallory to read beginning in verse 36 so that we would have context. And Jesus has risen from the dead by now. He has ascended back to the Father in heaven. God the Father and God the Son have sent God the Spirit to live inside believers. And when the Holy Spirit comes a bit earlier in Acts chapter 2, some really crazy things happen. And so the people who are gathered together in Jerusalem begin to see the apostles and begin to see the disciples manifesting and doing some of these crazy sorts of things, and they answer with the only explanation that makes sense to them, which is clearly these followers of Jesus are intoxicated. (laughs) 
It's got to be the explanation. They're drunk. To which Peter responds to them with essentially a sermon convincing them, hey, we are not drunk. But in fact, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified is actually the Holy Son of God who was predicted, who was prophesied about. And when Peter reveals these truths to them, the people are cut to the heart, they're filled with conviction, and they ask Peter and the rest of the apostles in verse 37, brothers, what shall we do? And that, by the way, is a really good question. When we come face to face with the reality that there is a God whom we have sinned against, the right response is, what shall we do? How can I be saved? In fact, that's the only response that leads to salvation, that leads to hope and to life. And notice Peter's response here in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So Peter's response to the question, brothers, what shall we do? Is repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? 3,000 people believe Peter's words. They believe the proclamation of the gospel. They repent, and they are baptized. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. But notice what happens next. They don't continue about their life as they did before being saved. Rather, they devote themselves to the things of the Lord. Specifically, they devote themselves to gathering together and to doing specific things when they gather together. Look at verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we could just say that this text is simply describing what the early Christians did together. It's just describing what they did, and that's true. But when we compare verses like these to the rest of the New Testament, what we find are common themes that are repeated in the lives of believers. And one of those common themes is the significance of gathering 
together. For example, the New Testament repeatedly expects, in fact, even commands Christians to gather together. Hebrews 10 may be the most direct of all passages about this, where the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews is writing to believers, he's writing to the church, he reminds them as the day of the Lord gets closer, as the return of Jesus Christ draws near, we need to hold fast our confession. We need to hold fast the hope that we have in Christ. We need to hold it without wavering, knowing that God holds on to us, knowing that he who promised is faithful. So you can almost imagine the author of Hebrews' audience wondering, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering? I think we have the answer for that in verse 24. And consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Consider how to stir one another up to hold fast to our confession, to love the Lord, to love one another, to be about good works. Okay, well, how do we stir one another up? Well, we do so, verse 25, by not neglecting to meet together. By gathering together. We gather together to stir one another up to love the Lord and to do the work of the Lord. And in so doing, we help one another to hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. But then the author of Hebrews adds, do not forsake gathering together. Don't neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. And clearly there were some, even in the first century, who regarded gathering together with the people of God as ancillary, as optional. The author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, that is not so. Rather, Do not neglect meeting together, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible is clear that Christians are called to gather together, to meet together. But the Bible is also clear about the common things that Christians do when we meet, when we gather together. Things like preaching the word and praying the word and singing the word and receiving the Lord's Supper, just to name a few. And you can see some of those things represented in our text here in Acts 2.42. The apostles devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The believers devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. The first Christians did not go back to their life as normal before they were Christians. They knew that their new faith, their new identity, meant that they were a part of a new family, a new people. And so they devoted themselves to these people and to the things like the apostles' teaching and fellowship together and the Lord's Supper and prayer. And notice in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this is important and sometimes overlooked. 
the Lord didn't just save men and women and then leave them as they were scattered about. But he saved them and he added them together into a group of people. Now all of this is helpful as we try to answer our first question this morning, which is, what is the church? What is the church? I don't know if you've thought about that question before. If you were like me and you grew up, you answered that question like this, right? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people, right? Some of you from VBS, you remember this? Close the doors and hear them pray. Open the doors and they all walk away. Is that what the church is? Well, there are different ways to answer the question, what is the church? One way we could answer the question is simply to say that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of all believers everywhere. And that's true. And that's good to remember. Just as we gather together this morning as one church in this location in Dayton, we are a part of the broader church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons that when we gather together, we pray for other local churches. Just as we did this morning when Pastor Taylor prayed for our friends at University Baptist. Praying that God would bless them. Praying that God would bless Jason as he preaches the word of God this morning to that local church. Praying for their unity. Praying for them to be strengthened in their work. We're not in competition with one another. We're together. We're teammates with one another. We're on the same mission. We're both global outposts of the kingdom of God. Us in Centerville, them in Beaver Creek, seeking to do the same work. So it's important that we remember that we are united together with every believer who trusts in Jesus Christ by faith alone for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. But the vast majority of the time, when the Bible refers to the church, it means believers who commit to gathering together. It means a group of believers who self-consciously gather regularly for a specific purpose. And by self-consciously, I don't mean that we are to walk into this building awkwardly and like looking around and like trying to straighten our clothes and like self-conscious. It means that we consciously gather together being conscious of the reasons that we gather together, being conscious of the significance for gathering together. I think it's important to understand that when we read the word church in the New Testament, most of the time it means this kind of gathering. Because I believe that will help us, correct us, and keep us from really two errors. The first error that we don't want to fall into is to simply define the church as believers, full stop. Some would define the church as any Christian anywhere. Well, what is the church? The the church is Christians. And so with this definition, the church can be anything that believers do, any way that they gather, anything that they want to call church. It can be friends hanging out in the backyard, reading the Bible. It can be Believers getting together for dinner and talking about spiritual things. But friends, while a Christian is a Christian, no matter where we are, no matter where we go, the church is something more. It's not less than Christians, but it's more than just Christians together. 
It's more than merely the gathering of believers. It's a gathering that does specific things. It's a gathering for a specific purpose. That's made up of specific elements, as we'll see here in just a minute. So if one error is to define the church simply as just believers everywhere, then the other error is to define the church as a location or as a physical structure. I find myself falling into this error frequently. I'll text Tara at the end of the day and say, hey honey, uh, I'm going to be home a little bit later tonight. Had something come up, but I will text you when I leave the church. As though the church was a spot on Google Maps, right? It was a building. It was a geographic location. But the church is not 700 East Spring Valley Pike. And this is where Centerville Christian Fellowship Church happens to meet most of the time. And we're incredibly grateful for this beautiful facility. But this facility is not the church. In fact, maybe it would be better for us to call this the church building or the church meeting location. I don't know. I mean, my point is not to be the language police. Like, if I hear overhear someone out in the foyer afterwards talk about it's good to be in the church today. Like, nope, it's not the church. We are the church, right? It's not the point. But language is important. And how we speak of things has a shaping function within a group of people. Especially among the 180 or so little people who gather and who are around us and who hear the way we speak about the church. So the church is not a geographic location, just like it's not merely Christians. The church is the gathering of Christians for a specific reason with specific elements in its gathering. In fact, something that might be helpful for us to remember that kind of clues us into this is that the very word translated church in our English Bibles comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering. So when you read church in your English Bible, you could just as faithfully say gathering. The church is the gathering of believers together, which means you can't have a local church if you don't gather. This means that virtual church is not a church. In fact, back in the early days of COVID, when for a couple of months we were only providing content online, we were very careful not to ever call it church because it wasn't the church. The church is the gathering together for a specific purpose made up of specific elements. It means that a church cannot have a virtual church campus because A church that does not meet is not a church. A church can broadcast its services online for the benefit of its members and others. We do that. We're grateful for that technology. It can be helpful. But it's not the church. It is not the gathering. In fact, let me just give you an example from the world of sports. And if you're not into sports, that is totally fine. This is just the the best example I could come up with. Joey Votto, some of you know that name maybe, is a Cincinnati Red. Cincinnati Reds are a professional baseball team in Cincinnati, right? I'm not assuming you know anything, so it's, it's okay. 
Everywhere Joey Votto goes, whether it's to Kroger or anywhere else, he is a red. So he goes to dinner with his wife, he is still a red. And he goes to get gas, he is still a red. He cuts his lawn, he is still, what? A red, right? But the reason he is a red and what it means to be a red has something to do with him gathering with other reds on a baseball diamond to do something specific, to play baseball. So the fact that he is a red implies gathering. It implies something concrete about what he does with other reds. And so if you happen to be at Kroger and you ran into Joey Votto and you're with a friend who knows nothing about baseball and you introduce your friend, this is Joey Votto, he's a Cincinnati red, you would would expect that in that definition or description of Joey Votto there would be an understanding that this is someone who gathers with other reds to play baseball. Therefore, if he never went to the ballpark, if he never played baseball, we would have to question, is he really a red? If he never went to the ballpark, if he never gathered with other reds to do something specific, in this case, baseball, he would lose the essential definition of what it means to be a red. And so, we don't Stop saying that he's a red when he leaves the stadium after the game, but the truest meaning of being a red is found in his gathering with other reds and what happens when he gathers with other reds. And in the same way, the church is made up of believers. We are the church of Jesus Christ, even when we scatter into the world. But the truest sense of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ has at its essential core the gathering of the local church and what we do when we gather, why we gather. And true, we are a church even when we scatter. But remember, the overwhelming use of the term church in the Bible speaks of those who gather, the ecclesia. Therefore, again, the primary meaning of the church has something to do with what we do when we gather. We can see Jesus making this point for us in Matthew chapter 18. When he writes and says to his followers, Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And growing up, I thought that meant when my Christian buddies and I got together to trade baseball cards, Jesus was there among us. And in a sense, he is because the Holy Spirit of God dwells among us. But that's not the context of Matthew 18. The context of Matthew 18 is the gathering of the church. In fact, what Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Gathering in Jesus' name is shorthand that refers to something specific. It refers to the gathering of believers for the purposes that God has given to us for our gathering. Therefore, the church is not anything we want it to be. The church is not just a group of Christians who hang out. The church is not just a group of Christian friends who get together to talk about spiritual things. The church has prescribed characteristics, things that make it a church, a true ecclesia, a true gathering. 
Now, we don't have time this morning to go into every element in detail that makes a church a church or makes a gathering a gathering. So what I want to do is just hit kind of the highlights or the big themes that the New Testament lays out for us when it describes for us and even prescribes for us what a church does when a church gathers or we could say what an ecclesia truly is. First would be preaching. And Paul's final instructions to his former assistant, Timothy, included these words, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, whether it's popular or not. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And we see that even in our our. A passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the first thing that these believers commit themselves to is the apostles' teaching. And every week when we gather and when other churches gather all around the world, they devote themselves and center themselves around the teaching of the word of God. It is in this way that the people of God hear the word of God as he speaks to us. Another element of our gathering is prayer. Again, Paul, the church planter and missionary, writes to the church in the city of Colossae, and he tells them to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, should we pray independently? Should we pray in our personal quiet time? Absolutely. But the context here in Colossians is not the individual believer, but it's the church in Colossae. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This admonishment is for us to continue steadfastly in prayer together, being watchful in it with thanksgiving together. This is one of the reasons that we open our service every single time we gather together on the Lord's Day with prayer, specifically with a prayer of praise, asking for God to be glorified in our time of worship together, acknowledging that he is God and we are not, that he is on the throne, and that the reason we have come together is not for a person, not for a human, but for God. It's the reason why we have what we call the pastoral prayer, where one of our pastor elders gets up and leads us in a six, seven, eight, nine, ten minute Prayer, lifting up needs within our church family, praying for unreached people groups, asking God to to bless us, praying for unsaved loved ones, praying for other churches and other gospel work in our community. It's the reason we pray that God would open our eyes to see wonderful things in his word before the preaching of his word. It's the reason we pray at the end of our time, at the end of our gathering, that God would take these truths in this time and that he would sink them deep down into our hearts, that he would change us and shape us and make us godly and joyful. Another element in our gathering is singing. 
The ecclesia, the gathering of the church, includes singing. It's why we have a whole book of the Bible that is a songbook, psalms. Again, in the same letter Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What a, what a great thing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What a great thing to say to one another today before you leave to go lunch. Man, I hope the word of Christ dwells in you richly this week. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so every week when we gather, we sing songs. We sing songs that have been chosen for their faithfulness, that have been chosen for their content. So we don't simply choose songs based on the tune or based on the melody or because they sound good, because they're popular right now in Christian radio. Songs are chosen for the truths that they present, for the doctrine that they transmit. We choose songs that are truthful, songs that are singable. There are a lot of great songs that are out there, a lot of great Christian songs with great truths that just aren't really singable for a congregation. So we sing and Matt and the team leads us in ways that communicate that while we are concerned about musical faithfulness and excellence and doing our best, this is not about a performance. It's one of the reasons we keep the lights on and, and brightly lit here in the, in the congregation while we sing. It's because the most important thing in our singing and the most important sound is not what comes from the speakers, from the platform. It's the sound that comes from the seats so that we might look around and admonish and encourage and help and build up one another as we look around and we sing these truths joyfully. Bible reading is also another element in our gatherings. Again, Paul, to his former associate Timothy, writes, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You know, Bible reading in, in some, some circles and some churches is almost forgotten. But there's value in the people of God getting together and simply reading the Word of God. Again, it's one of the reasons we open our service every week with a scriptural call to worship that we all read together. The people of God together reading the word of God, reminding ourselves why we are here to worship God. Asking for God to be praised and adored and glorified in our gathering. It's the reading that the reason scripture is read before the pastoral prayer most often. It's the reason scripture is read before the preaching of the word. It's the reason we read the text together. And to these elements, we could add things like the Lord's Supper. Jesus instructs the church that when we gather together and take the Lord's Supper, we are to do so in remembrance of him. We could add baptism. But let's just stop here for a minute and take a step back because I know there's been a lot of things said this morning. And let's just lay out a working definition of the church based on what we have seen. A local church is a group of believers committed to one another and to gathering together for the purpose of preaching, prayer, singing, reading, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. We could say more. We could have more of a definition. We could talk about the plurality of qualified elders to lead. We could 
talk about other things the church should do and be engaged in and be a part of. But a local church is a group of believers who are committed to one another. There's a commitment that we jointly make to one another in the local church. If you're a member here, it means you have committed not only like, hey, this is kind of where I happen to show up most of the time. On Sunday morning, my car just happens to drive here. But no, you are committing yourself self-consciously with the other members of this church. So we're committed to one another and we are committed to gather together. It's why several of the statements in our abiding together document that we commit to as members includes gathering together, gathering together, meeting together for the purposes that we have just outlined. This then leads to our second and third questions this morning, which I said we would handle quickly because they follow on. Now that we know what the church is, what does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it mean to be a part of the church? Well, it means first and foremost to be born again. Church is the gathering of believers. It means trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, chiefly among them our sin of unbelief, as the only way by which we might be reconciled to our Creator God. So it means being a believer, but it also means committing to gather, to be known, to contribute, to be blessed, to participate. That's clear in our Acts chapter 2 text right from the start. These brand new believers gathered together with those who were already believers, and together they devoted themselves to one another and to these specific things. They commit to gather together, to do certain things when they gather. Things that make it clear that the gathering of the church is not Sunday school. The gathering of the church is not small group. The gathering of the church is not kid men. It's not youth ministry, all those are great and helpful things, but they are not the gathering of the church. They're not the ecclesia. They don't embody these characteristics, these elements that are included for a church to be a church. So if your weekly gathering, friends, is only small group, just attend small group, or it's only Sunday school, or it's only kid men, or it's only youth group, then you are not gathering with the ecclesia. You're gathering with a parachurch, a helpful parachurch, a fantastic parachurch. But the call to gather with the church includes preaching and prayer and singing and reading and baptism and the Lord's Supper and, and all the like. It's what happens in our context in this room at 9 or at 1045. What happens in other contexts and other churches at other times. And so what does it mean to be a part of the church? It means to joyfully commit to gathering together with the people of God to be about the things that make a church a church. Which then leads to our final question. Which is this, why is it important that I am a part of the church? And there are lots of ways that we could answer that question, but I want to just give you five quick reasons why it is important that we are a part of the church. First, it is important that we gather with the church, that we ecclesia with the church because scripture commands that we do. And you may be thinking, well, that's not a really exciting way to start, just with obedience. But obedience is a part of the Christian life. 
So let's just get that out there front and center real clear from the beginning. We gather because we are called to gather and told to gather and told to not forsake assembling together. This is not optional whether we gather weekly with the body of Christ. But we also, secondly, we gather for nourishment. Of all the reasons the New Testament gives for gathering, it's clear that nourishment or spiritual fueling is one of the top reasons. In fact, when Paul gives his final instructions to the elders at the church in Ephesus, he tells them this, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is scripture, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul's looking at these elders in the church of Ephesus, the ones who are responsible for the teaching, the preaching, the feeding of the flock in Ephesus, and he says to them, I am commending you to God and to his word. And God and his word will build you up and will build the church up, giving you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We also gather for correction. All scripture is useful for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. In fact, further, when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, telling them to address one of their members who was living in open, unrepentant sin, he told them to address that as a church, to deal with the public sin as a church. When we gather together, the word of God and the relationships that we have with one another as the church corrects us and shapes us and forms us, points out our blind spots and our errors, our unseen sin. We also gather for encouragement, too. In this Hebrews 10 passage that we've already looked at a couple of times, Scripture reminds us that one of the reasons that we are to meet together, that we are to ecclesia, is that by meeting together we might stir one another up to love and good works, thereby encouraging one another. There are weeks, you will find this shocking, maybe. Probably not. There are weeks on Sunday morning, driving here, where I'm not excited about being here. Where I think, you know what, I'm just not feeling like gathering today. I don't feel tired or I feel down or I just, I'd rather do something else this morning. And maybe there are Sundays for you where you don't feel like gathering. But I can tell you truthfully that there has never been a time when I have gather together with the church when I have left and not thought, man, that was so worth it. Maybe it was in the singing scene, someone raised their arms to the Lord and sing. Maybe it was the truths that we sang, the truths that were shared in a song. Maybe it was a conversation afterwards in the hallway. Maybe it was just hearing the word of God proclaimed. Maybe it was being reminded even as I was the one proclaiming the word of God. Yes. You see, God could have designed us to be self-refueling. Have our spiritual tanks filled all by ourselves. But he didn't do that. He designed us to need one another. To need to gather. To need to hear the word proclaimed and the word read and the word sung and the word prayed. By people who are believers who have committed themselves to one another. 
but joyfully grow in godliness together. This leads us to the last reason that I'll mention this morning for why it is important to be a part of the church. It's important because this is our new identity as Christians. This is our identity. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers during his time on earth, would speak about the church, the gathered people of God, like this. But you, he said, are a chosen race. The you there is not individual. It's plural. It's the church of Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that he may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And maybe our highest purpose in being the people of God who gather together Maybe our highest purpose in being the church is that through our unity, we might show the world the, war, the glory and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that we might collectively honor the triune God who made us and who saves us. You see, friends, that's what the church is. And that's why the church matters. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.